to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, in the 6th verse. 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and the 6th verse. About 10 years ago, Pastor Ron, I had the privilege of doing a, an evangelistic conference together. And during that week of a great church in North Carolina, they, they had guests such as, I want to say Rick Joyner, I want to say Clint Brown, I want to say Judy Jacobs. Pastor Rhonda did the Saturday night, Friday and Saturday night, and then I flew in to do the Sunday morning. The Sunday morning service was such a great move of God that everybody thought we had a great altar service, and everybody thought that I wasn't going to preach. But I didn't fly all the way from Cleveland, Tennessee to Rockingham, North Carolina, not to preach. So at about 10 till 12, I began the message on the eagle. And uh, about 3.30, we got to go to the restaurant, and we got to eat. And uh, if you think I'm teasing, there are people in the front row that will document that. But London and Angie have been friends with the Davis family for almost 10 years. And we honor them today. We're glad they're with us. And uh, their boys will be going to our youth camp. And I was going to tell a real funny story on London, but I, 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 I'll, I'll let him slide today. And I will not be mean to him and beat him up. But we have had some fun times together. And uh, their boys are great, called of God. And we want today a special word to go forth and minister everybody in this house. Pastor Rhonda has went to a place called Eufaula, Oklahoma. And Pastor Rhonda, I'll try to work, I'll try to work all this in to, to make it happen. And while she was there, she met some really cool people, and they told a really cool a really cool story of somebody that really actually did something and follow up and documented. And sure enough, and Pastor Rhonda said, You've got to call Pastor Randy and let him tell you the story. Before I tell that story, when I was a kid, you know, I was born quite young. Uh, when I was a kid, Matt, I was fascinated by caterpillars. I mean, I mean, the little black ones, you squash them and green stuff comes out of them. And then that tomato uh, worm, that eats tomato vine, actually looks like an alien from outer space. And, uh, you know, you'd see these caterpillars, and all of a sudden, the caterpillars would disappear, and you would see a cocoon. And if you pick that cocoon up, if that caterpillar was alive in that cocoon, that cocoon would move. Who knows how cool that is? And if you have a moving co cocoon, and you put it in the milk of a young lady in the sixth grade on the, at the, the lunchtime, and that cocoon gets that milk and it begins to move, there's no reaction that will, that will match that reaction, especially when they get ready to drink. They look and see the cocoon moving around and stuff. It really is cool. I wouldn't try it at home, but, but it really is a cool. But in that process of that cocoon, in, in secret, something is happening. There's something taking place in, in, that, in that secret place. As... Um, Pastor Ron was sharing this story, and I called Pastor Randy. Pastor Randy shared the story of a family in their church where they had a, they had a young man that was on his own. There were, a few, there were a few challenges, but he managed to take care of himself, and he was always constantly catching something. 
constantly catching something. And uh, he'd catch a snake, he'd catch a rabbit, he'd catch a cat, and, and uh, he'd call his mom from time to time and say, Mom, let me, let, me tell, let me tell you what I've caught. Mom would go over and see what he'd caught, and they'd laugh and have fun with it. Well, one day, he called his mom and said, Mom, you've got to come over and see what I've caught. You're not going to believe it. I need you to come and see it. And so uh, Mom said, well, I'll get by it. Well, she didn't get by that day. Or the next day, but later that evening, the second day, she went by and uh, went into the house. He said, Mom, I want to, I want to tell you, before, before I show you what I've caught, I need to tell you what I've caught. He, she said, okay, what have you caught? He says, Mom, I have caught a troll. She said, baby, you don't even know what a troll is. Oh, yes, Mom, on the, on the kids' program, Dora, there's a troll that lives under the bridge. And, Mom, I have caught a troll. She said, son, you've got to be kidding me. He said, mom, you go ahead and open the door and look in there and see my troll. So mom opened the door and there was a midget. <laughs> that was Jehovah Witness. And he was knocking on the doors, going door to go door to talk about Jehovah Witness. And this young man caught him and put him in his uh, closet for two days. <laughs> There is a point to that story. All of us love to chase things. Whether it's a butterfly. I remember we were on vacation. I was probably about 13. My brother was about 8 or about 10. We were on vacation. And we pulled off the side of the road. There, was, there were deer out in the, in the field. And so my brother and I, we decided to chase the deer and catch them. I mean, how hard can that be? And Lonnie, we got up there about 100 yards, and those deer saw us. And I mean, it was like we, we didn't get within 100 yards of them when we started chasing them. Where there's something on the inside of all of us that want to chase something. And the thought of the theme today that I was reflecting on was osmosis and metamorphosis. What will happen to you when you hang around certain kind of people? And what will happen to you when you pursue a relationship with God. And I, I think most of us are aware of the osmosis. There's a song by Jackson 5 entitled, One Bad Apple, Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch, Girl. Remember the song? Okay, good. I won't have to sing it for you then. But you know what? That cliche is not correct. If you leave that bad apple in that bushel long enough, it will contaminate and destroy all those apples. I feed, uh, I feed the birds. Uh, God is really going to owe me big time to get to heaven because I spend a lot of money on bird food. But, I, but I've noticed if you leave the bird food in the, in the feeder long enough and it gets wet, it gets all moldy, and the birds will have nothing to do with it. I don't know if you've ever opened a loaf of bread and, and you saw three or, four, three or four pieces molded and you, you throw the, the loaf away. So we are greatly affected by who we hang around and who we allow to speak into our life. The very first psalm of, of David's writings, he didn't write all of them, but he wrote many of them. The very first words out of David's mouth is blessed. And you need to, you need to look up the word blessed. You need to see, or if you have an amplified Bible, it will tell you what the word blessed means. It is an incredible word. It's a phenomenal word that God has for his kids. But the word of God says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of the sinner, 
or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. And if he meditates, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf or covering will not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We know the word prosperity means having enough for yourself and a little left over for someone else. That's, that's the height and the width and the depth and the length of prosperity. It's not by how many cars you can get in a garage or how many washes you can get in a drawer or how many fine clothes that you can wear and how much nice wine you can drink. It has nothing to do with that. You were placed here on this earth for a purpose. God told Abraham when he called him out of the land of the Father and sent him to look for a new place. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you for one reason and one reason only. And that is so that you can bless somebody else. When you begin to hang with the things of the world, if you'll notice the degression instead of the progression, as you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly, if you walk long enough, you will sit in the seat of the scornful. You'll stand in the way of the sinner. So there's a process here that we are running a race, the Apostle Paul says, with patience. And whether you accept that verbiage, Shakespeare said, life is a act, a stage, and we are all what? The actors. So you know that you're here on this earth for a reason. You know that God has something for you. And as you begin to look at the examples that God has put in your life, you learn one of two things. You can hang with the world. You can hang with the crowd. And you continue to talk like them, look like them, think like them. Or you can make a decision. The word says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary. So this is a race that we are in. Every one of us today are in a race, whether you are 12 or whether you're 70. There's a purpose, there's a plan that God has for you. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to forget the mistakes of yesterday and I'm going to reach forth towards the mark where there is a promise of God waiting on me if I arrive at that particular chapter in my life. So as we talk about chapters and talk about levels and talk about, about deep things of God, we know that when there are new levels, there are what? New devils. No matter, if you decide, no matter what you decide to do, there's always going to be a, a, a some type of classification of the enemy that's going to try to hurt you where you are. The Apostle Paul, Jesus, every great man and woman of God of the Bible, there was an attack of the enemy to try to shut them down. And we shared that last week. But if there is a walk that you're supposed to walk, a straight, narrow way, if there's a gate that you're supposed to go through, he said, I am the door. No one can get to God but by me. When you get to that place and you step through that gate and you, you become born again, life does not end there. Relationship with God does not end there. Christianity does not end there. But then we step into a prophecy that's called met metamorphosis. Say that fast three times. Metamorphosis. This metamorphosis is seen very much in the life of this caterpillar. There's nothing attractive about a caterpillar, especially when you squash them. There's nothing, there's nothing romantic. I've never heard any, any uh, I've heard songs about muskrat love, but I've never heard of a, of a, of a, of a, of a caterpillar love. I mean, they're, they're gross. They're scary. They, they, go, they go creepy, crawly. That's what boys are made of, spiders and snakes and caterpillar guys. That, and and, and nobody, nobody likes a caterpillar. But that caterpillar doesn't know that nobody likes him. That caterpillar knows that nobody, nobody appreciates him. That caterpillar in his DNA was born for a higher purpose. Each one in this place, we were born to fly. I believe Adam and Eve had that ability in the garden. I think they lost that. 
The Bible says the first thing that will happen when Jesus returns, the first thing, you will fly. How cool is that? All of us in our heart, we see an eagle or we see a hawk. Some of us, we just see a buzzard. And we say, man, I, like to fly. I would like to just fly. How many of you ever dreamed you're flying? You've actually dreamed you're flying. I think almost everybody that's normal, just kidding. I, I believe that almost everybody has had some kind of particular desire or, or, or has walked up the edge of a cliff and looked and said, man, I would just like to leap out here and begin to soar. And, and that, that was put in you by God. It was also put into the caterpillar. That caterpillar said, I was born for greatness, and he will begin to sequester himself. He will begin to hide himself. He will begin to form a cocoon that comes from him, from his inner, inner being, and he begins to build this cocoon, and there he will hide. And in this season of hiding, no one feeds him. No one clothes him. No one talks to him. He just hangs around and does what a, co a cocoon does. Some of them will get attached to a limb in a tree, and they'll begin to move from time to time, which is dangerous because the, the birds will see that. But when that cocoon explodes and, 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 and that beautiful butterfly comes out, that's a metamorphosis. And I think that God metamorphically wants a lot of us to realize that we weren't born to crawl on our belly. We sing that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. It did. You were, but not anymore. When you join the family of God, you become a part of what God has for you. And so to begin to pursue what God has for you, you've got to decide, am I going to allow the process of osmosis to mature me? Or am I going to allow the process of metamorphosis mature me? Is there a difference? Absolutely. You can be a thermometer and hang around on what everybody else is doing you're doing. What everybody else is going through, you're going through. Did you ever notice we try to match emotions with our loved ones? I probably, if your wife is crying, she's hurt, you try, to, you try to feel what she's feeling. Your kids fall and hurt their knee, you wish that you could bring that pain upon yourself. Can anybody, can anybody relate? There, there, there's, there's, there, there's, a, there's a God instinct in us that wants to do greater exploits and greater adventures. So the osmosis is merely just kind of hanging out with somebody or, 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 or spending time with somebody, hope the right person, the right thing. Or you can go into a metamorphosis where old things are passed away, all things are become new, and you become a new creature in Christ. And as you begin to pursue the things of God, you desire to want to have the things of God. Am I talking to anybody? The challenge of us having anything to do with God is that there is a great gulf, there's a great span, that's called sin. If you buy a pack of cigarettes, it says, it's not a warning anymore, but they have determined, if you smoke cigarettes, it will kill you. And we know that if you walk in sin as we are born of sin, that if we don't do something about the nature that we're in, we will die in our sins. The Bible says, all have sinned, come short, the glory of God. The, the Bible says, for as many are, are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we know we can be adopted in the family of God. But does our mindset change when we give our heart to God? Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And we get some kind of direction that we want to begin to pursue the things of God because no man can get to God by any other way except a personal relationship with Christ. Let me, let me bring it down another level. 
there are four seasons of the year. The monarch butterfly has five seasons. The expectancy of a butterfly, the life expectancy, is 28 minutes. The natural enemy of the butterfly is the sparrow. And the moment, I don't know if you guys saw Bug's Life, where that sparrow was trying to eat the butterfly. The moment the sparrow, the bird, sees a butterfly, it's history. If they manage to hide from the fowl of the air, their life expectancy is about 28 days. So if they're devoured, it's 28 seconds, if 28 minutes. If they survive, they live to be 28 days. The last season of the monarch butterfly, the fifth season, very unusual, that monarch butterfly does not just have the ability to survive the winter, but they will fly. There's something on the inside of them, much like in the mind of the salmon and, 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 and like the crabs of the Chesapeake Bay. There's something in the mind of that butterfly that he will begin to make his way to Mexico. They've, they've documented from Connecticut to Mexico, 2,700 miles, that monarch butterfly made that journey. And he stayed there all winter long. Yeah, he had a little glass with a little, a little umbrella thing and sipping and kicking back sun tanning until the winter was over. And then that monarch butterfly will fly back to where he originated. And within just a few feet... Of where he hatched out Jerry, there he will build a nest, and there he will produce larvae, and there the eggs will be in that larvae, and they will explode, and hundreds of caterpillars will begin to crawl upon the face of the earth. Makes you want to scratch, doesn't it? The fifth season. That monarch butterfly is a survivor. He doesn't just endure the winter. Weeping endures for a season, but joy comes in the morning. He doesn't just endure that season, but he is fruitful and he multiplies. And I believe that in the life of many of us, we've gone through that crushing. We know what it's like to be a, a, a sinner saved by grace. We know what it's like to be, to be negated and, 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 and walk in that darkness and walk in that frustration. And then we, we accept Christ in our life and begin to pursue the things of Christ. Something begins to happen. Something begins to change. And then there's a, a desire to begin to pursue the things of God. And the reason we can't get to where God's at is because sin separates us. But God wants us to come where he's at. So God makes a way where there seemeth no way. God creates an eternal divine plan that is so far above our mental ability to grasp. Sometimes we just blow it off. But God wants to commune. God wants to fellowship with you. Mount Everest is the highest mountain peak in the world. It's called the mother of all mountains. It's, the, it's called the goddess mother of the earth. Deep into the far east. I don't know if Chris and Susan have been there, but on the borders of Tibet and Nepal, there's a mountain range where there are, I think, I think there are eight mountains that are over 29,000 feet. But the mother of all mountains, Mount Everest, the last time I did documentation, Mount Everest was 29,035 feet above sea level. That has changed the past two years. Every year, this mountain is growing an inch or two. 
And today that mountain peak is 29,070 feet above sea level. It is a mountain that hundreds have attempted and desired to climb. It is a mountain that to this date, 209 people died on that mountain. Jerry, if you were to go to that mountain today, you would see 120 corpses. Because where they fell, nobody could get to them. A few years ago, over 40 climbers walked past a guy that had lost his strength, lost his energy. He was sitting cross-legged on, on, on the path. 40 people walked around him. None of them attempted to help him, and he died. It is a fierce, it is, it is, a, it is, a, it is a mountain that kills. Above 29,000 feet, they call it the death zone. The reason they call it the death zone is once you get above 25,000 feet, the temperature is 100 degrees below zero. The, the air is too thin to breathe. Those that attempted to climb the mountain without extra oxygen, it took them five minutes, Karen, to step. Five minutes. Something happened in 1953. Sir Edmund Hillary in Tenzing, Norway, climbed Mount Everest. They stuck the flag, the British flag, and the whole world cheered, and it should have. It was an incredible, phenomenal feat. Since 1953, 56 years ago, since 1953, 2,700 people have climbed to the top of Mount Everest. It's been climbed over 4,500 times by these 2,700 people. One guy has climbed it 11 times. One guy has climbed up all four faces of the mountain. One guy got to the top and skied all the way down. And one guy got to the top and had a paraglider and glided all the way. To, it, took, it took him 11 and a half hours to get there, 11 minutes to get down. It's an incredible, it's, just a, it's one of those mountains where you just don't get on a plane and fly and climb. You, you fly into one airport, then Josh, you got to fly into another airport, then you fly into the third airport, and they drive you an eight-hour drive to the base camp. When you get to the base camp, about 18,000 18, feet above sea level, there you stay, and your lungs become acclimated to that, to that temperature, to that pressure, to that, that level of oxygen. After about two weeks of acclimating for an American citizen to climb Mount Everest, the permit, and that is $25,000. You have to have a permit to climb the mountain. Not only do you have to have a permit, but you have to have a guide. Today, the going rate, I want to, <coughs> excuse me, I Googled this morning, the going rate for a guide to climb Mount Everest is over $100,000. Because the person that takes you knows he might not make it back. The person that takes you knows that at any second, Josh, an avalanche can come and wash you away. The majority of deaths have been the avalanche. The winds reach gale force, almost, almost tornado force. It is, a, it is a mountain. But when they climbed it in 1953, do you know how they climbed it? They didn't climb El Capitan, the, the north side of the mountain, the sheer, the sheer cliff going straight up. But they came up the back way. They came up through the foothills. They came up to the they began to come up. And as they began to slope up and as they began to get to the top in 1953, they got to the top. And after 1953, many who went to climb the mountain decided that they were going to prepare a better way. So at the very top of the mountain... 
Travis, they have a, they have a nail that, that's driven into rock. It's called the python. There's a certain kind of hammer. And they drove that python into that rock at the top of that mountain. And they lowered themselves down, sometimes 10 feet, sometimes 100 feet, sometimes 2 feet. They would lower themselves down, and then they would drive another python in the rock. And then they would lower themselves down, and they went all the way to the top of the mountain, all the way to the bottom, 29,000 feet by putting in pythons, nails in solid rock. And now you can go, and you can start at the bottom, and you can get to the top if you will endure, if you'll be in shape, if, if, if you pay the right amount of money, if, if, if you pay the cost. You can go from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain because somebody has already been up there, Christiana, and has made the journey down. Here's the challenge with the mountains in our life. Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations. He knew it was a spiritual city. Jacob lay down and went to sleep, rock for a pillow, woke up and saw a stairway leading into heaven. It has been man's heart's desire, man's heart's cry to be where God is. My precious nephews, they've changed the name of their band three times. They might change it again, but right now the name of the band is Ascend the Hill. Somewhere in Psalm 50 it said, Lord, who shall ascend into your holy hill? And God said, those that have clean hands and a clean heart. There's a hunger in a lot of us to find, we're on a chase, we're looking for something. We would really find, like to find documentation in our heart and spirit that confirms there is a God. And Annabelle, there have been three opportunities when men could have proved there was a God had they preserved the evidence. When God gave Moses the commandments, God personally took his finger and carved out the how to live by, the ten, the ten laws to live by. And they're laws of blessing, not laws of curse. It's a blessing to live by a law that says thou shalt not kill. It's a blessing to live by a law that says thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. It's, a, it's not a slap on the face. It's guidelines of life, a successful life. When Moses came down the mountain, he'd been with God. When he came down the mountain and saw them worshiping Baal, a, a, a godless image, he took the tablets and broke them. The first, the first proof that God exists, man destroyed. That there was a time when they were parting there that in, the t in the temple of Belshazzar, and out of nowhere on the, on, the, on the side of the wall, Dustin, there was a hand, just a hand. And the hand began to write, many, many tekel upharsin. And Belshazzar and all of his wise men could not understand what it meant. And then went and got Daniel. And Daniel came in and he read, he read and he says, it means that you have been found, you have been weighed, and in the balance you have been wanting. You have not reached that place. God wants you to be. If you don't repent, you're going to die this night. And the king said, thank you, Daniel. I promised you one-third of the kingdom. Here's your money. He went on to party, and that night, that building was completely annihilated. Every single person in that, in that, at that party was destroyed. So what, what was written on the wall that we could have preserved and went to Babylon and see has now been destroyed because man did not confess, repent, and turn back to God. And the last living proof that we had that God is real is that Jesus knelt in the sand and he began to write. And whatever he, whatever he wrote, every one of that young lady's accusers turned around, walked, and left. I don't, I don't know what he wrote. You know what I, I think that he wrote. But whatever he wrote, it spared her life. But we don't preserve that sand. And the wind blew it and, and, and cast it as far as the east is from the west. So as far as literal proof, 
Jacob as far as saying, I can show you the, this is the proof of God. I cannot do that. But there are moments in time when God will stir our spirit. And there are moments in time when you will feel the presence of God in your life. In the New Testament, there was a pool of water. And every once in a while, the Holy Ghost would stir it up. And everybody that got in the water at the very first got, got healed. But that plan wasn't good to God. God said, I'm going to have a plan that whosoever will can drink of this water, can be stirred, can be healed, can be restored, and can pursue me. We can't get to where God's at. The Lord's hand is not short that he cannot save. His ear not heavy that he cannot heal, Isaiah 59. But your sin has separated you from him. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. Knowing that we couldn't get to God, God decided to come to us. I'm just going to think about that for a minute. We couldn't get to God. So God said, I, from the mountains of glory, will leave the mountains of glory, and I will prepare a way in the wilderness, a path in the desert. I will show you clearly how you can find me. And so in the beginning, before man was created, before man was birthed, before man dom dominated and occupied the land, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So he who walked with the triune decided to become the Word. We have 66 precious books. 1,189 chapters. It is the book of books. It is the most phenomenal documentation that has ever been written you either believe these great fantasies or you negate them there's no way to walk on the on the fence and be neutral you either accept all of it or you accept none of it he said if you add to it i'll take your name away from the lens book of life if you take away from it i'll take your name out of the lens book of life this is the way jerry to god right here God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night to observe to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and shall have what, Frazier? Good success. Look at somebody say, good success. Is there a bad success? Absolutely. I have several millionaire friends that are very, very, very unhappy with life, and they've got, they've got everything anybody could ever want. But God said, you can walk in the good things that I have provided for you. But God, knowing down the corridors of time that there would be people that would take this book, edit it, add to it, take away from it, change it, try to, try to, try to eliminate everything about the blood, everything about the cross, everything about the truth of this book. So God said, I'm not just going to drive a python there in the mountains of glory and establish myself as the word I'm going to lower myself a little closer to mankind. Deity is going to, is going to meet humanness. 
And deity is going to come from the word and lower himself another level and will become the light. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was the beginning with God. All things were made by him without him anything made and in him was light. And the light shined and darkness comprehended it not. Watch this, Gloria. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be, and there was, that was before the week of creation. The sun as we know it was created the fourth day. But light has been here since the beginning. God would not allow this book to be distorted. God would not allow this book to be perverted. So God didn't just give us the word, but he gave us a flashlight. He gave us revelatory knowledge that the light of God would shine on the word of God and we would grasp. The, 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 the Philippian eunuch was in the chariot. He was reading. And the man of God says, what are you reading? I'm reading, I'm reading the books of the law. Do you understand them? No, I don't understand them. So God used one of his servants to begin to explain and begin to share. He began to allow the light to shine. And listen, when light shows up, everything else disappears. When light shines, the Bible says that darkness cannot apprehend, cannot comprehend, and cannot withstand light. Darkness has to flee when the light comes on. Somebody help me. So he, so he drove that python into that rock, lowered himself several million years, and became the light. But knowing even though there would be a light, even though there would be the word, it would still be grossly mistranslated. It would still grossly be misabused. So God said, I'll lower myself even closer to mankind, and I will make myself a son. And God allowed the king of glory to enter in a human vessel conceived by the Holy Spirit to live a spotless life at 12 years of age, blow all the scholars away. At 30 years of age, everywhere he went, thousands went with him, performed miracles, raised the dead. And Travis, the Bible says, if everything Jesus had done in three years had been written down, there were not enough volumes of books in the world to contain what he did. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the son came to dwell among us. But not just the king's son to be, a, to, to be embraced at a distance. Not just the king's son to have, a, to have, a, have a, a, a long distance relationship with. But he said, I just won't be a son. I will make myself to you a friend. The Bible says he was the friend to Abraham. The Bible says that he was the friend to Lazarus. He told the disciples, I've got to go. My friend is dead. He was a friend to Lazarus. When Lazarus tried to betray him, Jesus looked at him and said, Friend, what are you doing? The Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So he just wasn't the word. He just wasn't the light. He just wasn't the son. But he became a friend of mankind. Not to see at a distance. You and I will probably never embrace Mr. Obama. You and I will probably never embrace George Bush. We'll probably never get to touch the Queen of England. But because he became the son, we can embrace him. And he who the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Not sure that the friendship drove that python 
tied off that rope, the cords of righteousness, the scarlet cord found all the way through the Bible. Wish I had time to go there. But he came just a little bit lower and didn't just become a friend, decided to be a servant. He made of himself no reputation. Everywhere he went, he ministered. He turned no one away. The children was attracted to him like ants to honey. Everybody loved him. He touched everybody he came in contact with. People that were touched by him didn't just change, but they changed their city. The little prostitute at the well. He knew she was a prostitute. She knew he knew that she was a prostitute. But he never attempted to hit on her. He never attempted to seduce her. He never attempted to go home with her. But the words he shared with her didn't just change her life, but she went back to the city of Samaria and began to share her testimony. And the Bible says half of the city was converted because of her testimony. That's, that's, that's the servant that God has, has put in our hearts, the servanthood of Jesus Christ. He said, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. He said, I didn't come here to rule, I came here to serve. So not just the word, and not just the light, and not just the son, and not just the friend. What a wonderful song the youth probably have never even heard sung. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in care. That he can be our friend. And not just be our friend, but to serve us. To give us gifts, to give us promises, to give us love, to give us hope, to give us faith, to give us joy. The joy unspeakable and the peace that passes all understanding as a servant, he, pre he prepares that and gives it to us. Not sure that that would be close enough. We're trying to reach up and grasp this servant, trying to reach up and grasp this son, trying to reach up and grasp this light, trying to grasp and reach this word. We can't quite attain the Apostle Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't arrived. So God came near. And he came a little closer. And he drove that python and that rock. And then he took that cord of righteousness, that scarlet cord that hung from a prostitute's window that not just spared her, but from her loins, ten generations later would birth the Messiah. And he came a little closer. 